Welcome to Bench Reactions, an NBA podcast brought to you by not being allowed to bring your pet rats to work, even though Steven is allowed to bring his dog to work. I'm your host, Patrick Hervey, and I'm joined today by Jason Lamprecht and Zach Burnham, who I believe have both brought their pet rats to work today. Is that correct? Is that correct? Are we going to try to recreate all of the jokes exactly? Or are we just yeah, gonna... I mean, you're still laughing, so why would I change it up? <laughs> it's funnier the second time. Dan actually counts on his jokes being funnier like the eighth time. <laughs> Dan just kind of like wears you down, wears you down, wears you down until eventually you're just like, all right, yeah, I guess that was kind of funny. Dan catching strays in this in the episode. He we deserves you, it, though. Deserves he it, does. though, for his, his lame excuse. His jokes really... His jokes really, really do peak around like the sixth time, though. Like that's the time where you're like, "Oh my gosh, he did it again!" And then it really starts kicking in. It's great. It's accurate. It's accurate. That was like when he uh, shocked. I think our shocked, listeners. I it's great. Now we're gonna put it on a T-shirt someday. I think our listeners should know that Dan has spent the last like twelve years of our friendship, however long it's been. Hosting the Marilyn Monroe Happy Birthday, Mr. President <laughs> on all of our friends' walls on their birthday like every year. <laughs> and it started uh, in like 2012 and it got funniest around like 2019. <laughs> dude, you know what? Dan Dan is uh Dan is the Tim Robinson sketch. <laughs> I love you, sir. Say it back, say it back, say it back, say it back, say it back. <laughs> He's just waiting for one of us to say it back. And sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. Uh, yes, sir. Yes. Yes, sir. <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> uh, I hope Dan gets a kick out of this. Affirmative. <laughs> uh, do you think the version of this with the Dan jokes is better than the version of this with the Tarzan reference? Because I think No, man. Is. No, I yeah. hit those notes perfectly the first time around. We had a whole jazz take. <laughs> Not the Utah Jazz, music jazz. And I just, I'm bummed that we had not hit record. I say we, it was really me. So I'm going to raise my say, hand on that one. I would say that the Utah Jazz probably are similar to what we were saying about regular jazz, which is they, they do look a little different every night. It's very true. <laughs> can't, can't, can't seem to find a guard that, uh, that works for them. <laughs> I'm surprised none of us brought any jazz questions to the pod today, but we'll save those for when Chase and Dan are back on and can put up a fight. All right, well, let's get into it. On today's episode, we are going around the league before we wrap up with Jason's Mud Pie Moments of the Week. But first, we've got some news to run through. We have not had a chance to talk about the James Harden trade yet. So let me just, uh, again, rehash the details of the trade. The Sixers sent James Harden, P.J. Tucker, and Philip Petrosev to the Clippers in exchange for Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Nick Batum, KJ Martin, a 2028 unprotected first round pick, two second round picks, a 2029 pick swap, and addition and an additional first round pick from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, I want to focus on the Clipper side of things because we're going to be talking about the the Sixers when we get into our around the league segment. So I'll kick it over to you guys. What are your initial thoughts from the Clippers side of things? So <laughs> round two. Uh, Look, I love when someone takes my advice, you know, I love when people listen and take my input to heart and the Clippers clearly listened to our episode this summer where we said that it was uh, stupid and insane for them to just run it back and expect different results. 
And uh, they listened to the pod and they were like, you know what? They thought really hard about it and they decided to switch things up. One might say that they took it to heart, Sin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is where Dan You have to do (laughs) stand-up. I know. I know. (laughs) I will. I will. (laughs) Um, So I applaud them for, uh, for, you know, it's, I was going to say shifting the chairs around on the Titanic, but that would uh, imply that they didn't actually change anything significantly. They did change things. Um, I think they gave up too much uh, wing depth, too much physicality, too much defense to like, from to me be a championship contender. I think it is going to be tricky to see what, uh, you know, a closing lineup of, you know, assuming it's Harden, uh, PG, Kawhi, Terrence Mann, Zubats looks like playoff time um, defensively. And when it comes to kind of who has the ball, who's spotting up, how the offense runs, Tyron Lue's a great coach, so he'll probably make it look pretty good. Um, and look, they have a lot of firepower, so I think they're going to be a good team. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I applaud them for changing things up. It's going to be a question what happens come summertime. Who stays if they all get re signed? Because I, I, I would guess maybe Zach knows the answer to this. Can they still sign extensions um, uh, even now? Because um, they, I mean, they haven't. Uh, Kawhi and PG could have, I guess, done the Giannis thing and signed an extension as soon as the trade was made. They were happy. But, um, but yeah, I mean, maybe the front office still wants to kind of play it out and see what happens. But it'll be very interesting to see those three guys and our friend Russell Westbrook all hit free agency next summer. Um, and see who comes back. But yeah, no, I like the, I like the move. I think they had to make it. You couldn't just run back the same team. Agree that it's a good move simply because it changes up what the roster looks like. As for extensions, I'm not sure. I know the rookie deadline was October 23rd, but I don't know about uh, for veterans extending on their current deals. Look, it's a great fit on paper. The best case scenario is this: they have the talent and this team could be a championship contender. But is that going to happen? I don't think so. Honestly, I don't think it really moves the needle for me even in the regular season. They're still going to be a playoff team. They're probably going to be somewhere between the three and six seed in the West, which I think they probably would have been regardless. But I just see so many mouths to feed on offense, with uh, especially among the guards and wings with Mann and Harden, Russ, PG, Kawhi, Norm, even Bones. Like... I, the chemistry issues are going to be the main concern, especially when you get guys like Kawhi, Russ, and Harden in the same locker room. That's going to be a chemistry disaster. I don't see there's any any way that this works out the way that the Clippers are envisioning. Um, but if Harden can somehow take a step back and allow PG and Kawhi to be the guys and he's a facilitator, that's the what he's best at, and it could possibly be good, but... I just, I just don't see it. And I also think Harden takes away the little value that Russ brings to the table at this stage in his career. You're basically making Russ a nothing and relegating him to not playing any real minutes. I think that locker room piece specifically with Russ cannot be understated. Like they had finally, Russ had finally gotten to a place, I think mentally and emotionally where he was in a really good place. And I think you could see kind of the impact of that or that 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 had on the locker room and bringing James Harden in. Guess what? We've already seen this with James and Russ playing on the same team. It lasted one season in Houston before everything kind of burned down. Um, 
I don't think it really, I, I think I agree with both of you that I think they had to do something and it doesn't, even though they gave, gave up some of their wing depth, it wasn't like those dudes were moving the needle tremendously for the Clippers anyway, any of the guys they gave up. So it didn't feel like they gave up a ton to, to get back what they got. Um, but I also just don't think this really moves the, the needle a ton for them in terms of, you know, I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't put them in the upper echelon of the West and, and the West is a bloodbath, man. We continue to talk about this every single week. I think what I'm struggling with a little bit is this is obviously a, a huge move, but you're still dependent on PG and Kawhi's health. And so even if you have Harden, if one of those guys goes down, you're screwed anyway. So it's kind of like, ah, I don't know. I we'll see how it plays out. I do think that the PJ Tucker piece is really interesting. I'm I'm I guess not surprised that Maury gave him up in the trade just given his his contract that he has another year and he's getting up there in age, but Jay, you threw out kind of closing lineups. I I think they'll probably throw I think I think Ty uh, Ty Lue will will play around a lot with small ball PJ Tucker 5, right? So you've got PJ Terrence Mann and then PG Kawhi Harden with Russ coming off the bench. I just, there's so much to solve here that I think it's a little tough. Can we talk about the fact that it's like, must be in PJ Tucker's contract that he had to get traded when Harden got traded. (laughs) That he just has to go wherever James Harden is. It's pretty funny. He's a perfect player next to Harden. And it's probably the piece that makes this trade, like, seem good in my mind, honestly. They need that You gotta put some respect on his name that he played, like, first game First day he was traded. Of course, he showed up with the lunch pail and was just like, yep, I'm ready to play. Day one. Let's go. To your point about well, the time. West being a bloodbath, Patrick, I think that's one of the reasons they got Harden was so that they could maybe rest or in case of injuries for PG and Kawhi. Like, now they're going to be a better regular season team than they were last year and be able to probably lock up a playoff spot without having to worry about the plan just because they have enough talent on the roster to do that regular season. But if one of those guys, to your point, is injured in the playoffs, then it's not going to matter in the end. All right, let's move on to our second piece of news, which is the in-season tournament kicking off this week. I'm going to let's keep this open ended. What are your guys thoughts about the actual play in the games? And then we got to talk about the courts, I think, at some point as part of this segment as well. So I'm going to kick it over to you guys. What do you guys think of uh, the Friday night play? I actually think it was fantastic. The games definitely felt different. There was a little bit more of a playoff-type vibe. Uh, some really, really great games that came down to the wire. It was awesome. What I'm most confused about with this tournament is why in the world are we doing it in November? Like, we still have rookies getting used to the league. These, guys don't, these teams don't even know what their rosters and their rotations are going to be. They're not set. People aren't really into game shape yet. It just seems so strange. I feel like you do that February time frame that was originally talked about around the All-Star break. Maybe you start the season a week early so you have the time. And then you play this tournament as like one thing that happens before or after the All-Star break. And those teams that don't make it further, they get an extended break. So there's like kind of a, a benefit for those, for those teams as well. I, I just feel like there's a much better way to do this. You're not competing with the NFL or college football if you do it that way. I, it just it makes no sense to do it this early in the season. My guess is they were the league was a little bit worried about the injury risk of putting it off until later in the season. But the ironic thing is, I feel like we already have a ton of injuries. Like every time I look at a box score, I'm like, 
wait a minute, why isn't Scoot Henderson playing? Wait a minute, Bradley Beal's out still? Wait a minute, Devin Booker's not playing? It's every single night now. So I do think that's a great point, Zach. I, I, I will say I thought the play itself, to your point, was was excellent. I thought it was super competitive. Um, some really fun endings. Again, I, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of the uh, Oklahoma City Golden State ending because it rips my heart out of my chest because that's what Steph does when he comes into Oklahoma City, dating back to 2016. Um, but like the the Indiana Cleveland end of that game, I don't know if you guys caught that, but like the monster Halliburton three to go ahead, and then you had the monster uh, Miles Turner block on Evan on uh, Evan Mobley. It was just like there were some really fun, super awesome close finish. games. I hope we can keep that up with this um, going forward because I thought it was I thought it was really great. Yeah, if only you know, I, I think it was Tyrese Halliburton who said that he personally wishes that there was like an automatic playoff spot on the line or something here. Um, so that's definitely something that fans could uh, could lock into as as a reason for this happening. Um, it you know I think as as any change goes, it's going to take a little growing pains to like. Be like, okay, this game this week is a tournament game, you know. Um, but uh, but we'll you know we'll figure it out. I I agree. I definitely would have liked to shift it more into January and February. That's like the doldrums. That's like the you know the oh my gosh, there's another game tonight. Um, and but you know it is what it is. Like I I think you could take advantage of the freshness uh, and just have normal regular season games right now. But um, but it's okay because the courts are woo. Really, my eyes. Really <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, if anyone's ever wondering if it's a, an in-season game, all they have to do is walk out of the court and go, "Oh, it's bright blue like the Boise State field." This is great. The worst one for me was the was the Bulls, the Chicago Arena. Oh, staring at that red for that entire game was really, really tough, man. Can't really see anything. <laughs> the ball kind of blends in with the the court. The jerseys blend in with the court, like. I is, is an eyesore for sure. I get why the Bulls chase the red in in uh whatever it's called, bullfighting. What's it called? <laughs> yeah, bullfighting. Bullfighting. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. It made me feel like we were watching like the Big Three or something like that. Like, uh, which I, maybe they're kind of going for, but um, I don't know. It's fun. It's a long season. Let's try stuff. Um, and and the games were competitive, so. I think it's really fun. I think it was only going to be competitive in this format because it's the first time. But if you moved it to February, then that idea that Halliburton had of having the prize be an automatic playoff spot actually makes a little bit more sense. And you could create the groups based on record um, for that season. And so it's not like, because if a team got into the playoffs now, it'd be really weird. They wouldn't have to play the rest of the season. Like their games don't matter for the rest of the season. Like, so you have to figure out a way to, to balance that. But I do think eventually there needs to be a greater incentive for the fans benefit. The other possibility um, that, that I think Andrew Sharp has thrown out is that the winner of the tournament gets like the fifth pick in the draft just automatically, which is pretty insane. Oh, dang. Um, That'd be nuts. But I, I haven't really worked out all the incentives on that, but it, that seems pretty, seems like an interesting idea. Um, I feel like if we I, if we had auto, an automatic playoff berth now, to Zach's point, we'd be we'd be seeing uh, guys like Jonathan Williams playing uh, heavy minutes the rest of the season with that team just completely <laughs> shutting it down. Yeah. Those well, two so guys are going to get a lot of experience. Thing. That's the interesting thing is like wh- like 
on one hand, it could be a good team that gets the automatic playoff berth, so they so they do that, or they like do just enough to kind of stay fresh. But like, what if like a really bad team won the tournament, and you made the rule that you get the automatic playoff berth, but you also get a draft pick, like as associated with your record? So you could have like, you could be like the Wizards and be like twenty and sixty two and get the third pick in the draft. And also play in the playoffs because you won the in-season tournament. I'm pretty be, sure the Wizards I, are going to get the number that. one pick in the draft with the uh, direction they're going in right now, but it's a terrible yeah. hypothetical. Never possible <laughs> so, reality. They are so yeah. bad, man. So you totally bad. predicted that, Jason. They are Yeah, terrible. I was way off. <laughs> Jordan Poole, man. <laughs> is, have a, is there a more unserious player out there? He just Watching him drives me nuts. I think I, I weirdly admire him. Like, like he's just making his money, showing up for work, having a good time, enjoying himself. Because he's Nick Young 2.0. Of course you like him. Dude, he yeah, really is. Of course I, yeah. He really is. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, of course he's in Washington. Swaggy that means he'll go to the JP. Lakers next. So Swaggy be careful JP. what you wish for. Uh, All right. Yeah. Let's uh let's move into our around the league segment here. All, all of us have brought a couple questions or topics that we want to run through um, based on the first week and a half or so of the, the, the season kind of kicking off. So Zach, let's start with you. What's uh, what's your first question that you've got for us today? All right. My first question uh, has to do with, I guess some of the teams that you're, you're feeling really good about that maybe weren't as great last year. So my question is what team didn't make the playoffs last year that you think is most likely to win it this year and maybe even like win a series in the playoffs. Start with you, Pat. Let me think about this. So I'm going to pull up what teams did not make the playoffs last year. We've got, let's see here, Hornets, Raptors, Pistons, Bulls, Wizards, Pacers. Who else am I not thinking of in the East? I think that's Some of the really bad teams like the Magic and the the Pistons. And in the West, you have like the Pelicans, the Mavericks, Thunder, Jazz. And on down. Uh, I mean, <laughs> my homer pick would definitely be the Thunder, but I still think they have some growing pains to to go through. I'm gonna. I, I know Indiana has been a little bit up and down to start the season, but I think just with the talent they have on the roster and with Halliburton, I mean, I they lost to Charlotte last night, which was not ideal at all. It was a weird kind of finish to the game. If you guys didn't see that, the last minute or so, it was back and forth, but. Halliburton had like 43 points and 12 assists. I just think he's going to continue to get better and better. And that team, as we've seen dating back to last season, when he plays, the team is really, really good. So I think that um, they're a team that I expect them to be in the 40s from a a win standpoint, which to me, at least in the East, should be good enough to get into that the the playoff race, or at least the play-in. And they're a team that I think could make it in and potentially make some noise in the playoffs, depending on matchup. Yeah, they probably need a little bit of growth. Uh, to happen throughout the season to be a team that could make any real noise in the playoffs. But I think that team, because Halliburton's such a good leader and is so good at getting his guys involved, there's just always a chance that he's going to ha- help those guys develop really, really quickly. And that by the end of the season, even if they only win 40, 41 games, they're t- a really tough outcome playoff time. What do you got, Jason? Who do you think is going to make the playoffs that did not last year? Is it too easy to say Dallas? Because they have a really good record right now. Uh, yeah, it's, it's um, a good one. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about uh, them. I forgot about their abomination of the end of season last year. Look, I mean, Luca just Luca has come in as a destroyer of worlds. He's averaging basically like a thirty-three point triple double. 
which I, I may have discounted the value of triple doubles in the past, but if they're efficient and the team is winning, then that's cool. But if they're um, done by somebody but... named not Russell Westbrook, then I'm <laughs> definitely on board. <laughs> um, no, he just, he looks incredible. Um, and they're, they found a couple, you know, they found some gems. Um, uh, Derek Lively, they've, his passing is, uh, is really actually showing through way earlier than anybody expected. Um, so that fits like a really, really big need for them if he actually turns into the player he needs to be. Um, they're second in the league in offense. This offense is just absolutely cooking. Um, and, I, you know, the, obviously the danger here is that the West is just so good. Uh, and, you know, you could go from four and one, which I think is what they are right now, to, to uh, how they ended the season. But um, I think what they have is more sustainable. Um, and, the, you know, my, for my own sake, I hope the Kyrie surge is coming soon. <laughs> or else I'm going to be really wrong. <laughs> there it is. Season. <laughs> The crazy thing is I I don't think they need Kyrie to be the all-NBA Kyrie to be a really good playoff team. I think come playoff time, they're going to need him to be that that caliber of player uh, because playoff basketball is just different. You need those guys who just get you buckets. But Luka is on the warpath. We sort of all predicted he would be after the end of last season. And some of those uh rotation guys the guys that have on the side and coming off the bench are playing really really well i don't know if it's sustainable like Derek jones jr is hitting threes grant williams is playing really good defense if those kind of guys are playing well it's going to be they're going to be a really good team and like looking at them now in the way that they play their defense still isn't great but their offense is so good and with the shift towards offense in the playoffs i could easily see them winning a series being tough into the sec into the semifinals, uh, I don't see them as like a conference finals team or anything like that. Nothing crazy, but they're definitely the team for me uh, as well. I mean, Luca's built for the playoff. Like he's literally built for the playoffs. So you got that too. And I I've been really impressed with their other guys. Like I was not expecting much from their rotation dudes. Um, and I think they've got some some guys. I mean, you talked about Derek Lively, who's obviously a rookie. Jaden Hardy has looked pretty good in limited minutes. I watched uh, the end of the Bulls game the other night, and Luca was actually deferring to him on a few possessions, which was wild. He hit uh, he hit a couple threes at the end to kind of seal it. So his confidence, I think, is really high. And um, I think we also can't understate the the impact that Grant Williams has had on the team. I know Zach is very happy to hear me say that. Um, he's looked really good, man. He's looked really good on this team. I think he's helped kind of bolster their defense that we were expecting to be very bad. He's a great defensive player and he's, and he's hitting threes. So I'm, I'm excited from what I'm seeing in Dallas. The other team that I would throw out, I think the, the, the East, some of these teams that were bad last year because the East is just not as strong as the West. It's, I think maybe a little bit of a safer bet. Um, I think Dallas is a, a lock and we'll talk about new Orleans, I think a little bit later. So I don't want to talk about them too much, but the magic have also looked really good. They've been competitive basically in every game they've been in, even the ones they've lost. They beat the Lakers last night uh, pretty handily. And um, yeah, I've been really impressed by what I've seen uh, out of them so far as well. So in a, in a weaker East, I think they've got a shot to, to make it in the playoffs for sure. All right, let's move on to uh, my first question here. I mentioned this earlier, just uh, the desire to talk about Philly a little bit. Um, they're off to an amazing start. And so my question for you guys is, uh, what do you think they're still missing in order to get into kind of that upper echelon championship contender team? 
And then I guess part part B to this question would be who should Daryl target with the additional assets that they have now? And I can answer that question. The second part of the question, your part B with my answer to part A, or I can answer part A with my answer to part B, and that is DeMar DeRozan. Ooh. The Bulls are bad, and I think they're going to be sellers when the deadline comes around. And I think I have long talked about how I think DeMar is a a good fit, a really good fit next to Embiid, specifically because Embiid can stretch the floor, and we know that DeMar isn't a great shooter. But what he is, and what the Sixers really need, is a late-game closer and a wing scorer with a little bit of size, a little bit of defense, and the experience that Joel needs uh, to have next to him in those closing moments in the playoffs. I don't think there's a better fit out there. At least that's likely to be available at this trade deadline. Yeah, my answer is, like I guess, a little bit cheaty, which is, I, mean, I, I like that DeMar one. That, that really, uh, I like that possibility. I don't know if DeMar has that much left in the tank. Um, I mean, he's you know, playing well so far, but um, my answer is, I, I actually like the idea of waiting it out with this cap space um, because the player that I would like to add is a player who I, I don't know if I said that in the first run through or the second run through, but a player that is looking, it's just absolutely on fire right now, which is Paul George. Um, I really like the fit with Paul George and Tyrese Maxey and Joel. And if Paul George isn't happy, he could just walk right into that cap space. Um, in the summer and they wouldn't have to change anything about their team to, to make that happen. And so, um, you know, I, I, and I like the defense that he brings um, and his closing has been, you know, pretty good, even though I think at the end of the day, in those biggest moments, you got to have put the ball in Embiid's hands, but um, no uh, credit to Nick nurse. Um, he has them playing way differently uh, uh, offensively. He just has a, just a little bit of a zip. Uh, in the offense and the system that's, that has them playing well so far. And I just, I'm happy to see uh, my guy unburdened by the, the heart and hanging around his shoulder. Now. Yeah. Again, I'm, I've just been so surprised by how good they've looked. I mean, Maxi looks like a lock to be an all-star if he keeps this up. I love the idea of Paul George there. I've told you guys, my, my biggest concern with waiting it out is just if things go South at all, does that sour, Joel just on the situation to a point where he'd want to seek out like a the Big Apple maybe go to New York City or is there no, another team that he would want to go to I think Paul George would fit in perfectly there um, that to me is the type of guy that they need you guys have both talked about wing players I think that that's who they need to to target is somebody who can stretch who can potentially do some do some things off the bounce um, but then also play defense in that position Paul George, I mean, thinking back on Paul George, we we I feel like we had talked about him going to Philly when he re-signed with the Thunder in like 2018 or whatever that was. So maybe this is just like a five, six years later type of thing. I think he'd be great there. Jay, let's one, go over. Oh, sorry, go ahead. One, one note on DeRozan is that he is also a free agent at the end of the year. So if the contract uh, or if the cost to, to get him isn't too high for Maury to pay uh, for half a season, they could pivot to Paul George, who is like, DeMar DeRozan, but a little bit better because of his shooting, mostly. So, All right, Jay, let's go to your first question. What do you got for us? Okay, so, oh, so uh, you know, there, there 
the early part of the season has uh, had a little bit of um, concern in some some parts of the league. Um, I have a tiny bit of concern uh, where I'm sitting right now, but we're not going to talk about the Lakers right now because basically every wing they have is hurt, so it's fine. Um, but uh, but there are a few a few teams I think maybe uh, that are two and four, which obviously it's only six teams in, short small sample size, but. Which two and four team among these three are you most concerned about, not just in general, but when it comes specifically to accomplishing their goals this season? We got the Cavs, the Knicks, and the Phoenix Suns. I think uh, for me it's easy, specifically with the way this question is, is at, has been posed, because this, it's, the, it's the Phoenix Suns, and it's because the Suns' goal is a championship. And right now, they are not a championship team, not even close. I'm not scared of them uh, come playoff time. I think they have most of the pieces they need to be a really good team in the playoffs. Obviously, once Beal comes back, the team's going to change dramatically. But so far this season, they're 16th in offense, and they really lack in flow. This whole like give and take with, with Durant and Booker has just not looked good. They're not moving the ball. They, they're one of the lower teams in assist percentage. Um, and But I think the biggest thing, and we've talked about this before, Jason, you brought it up specifically in the, in the opening uh, game of the season for them, is that they cannot defend the rim at all. Nurkic is not the answer. Drew Eubanks got eaten alive by Victor, as we saw. And I think they kind of hope that Eubanks could be the defensive answer there. He's not. And if you can't protect the rim, man, these guys are going to eat you alive, especially when they play a team like Jokic or a team like the like, like Nuggets with Jokic or the Lakers with AD. It's a bad way to construct your team uh, for the Western Conference. Yeah, I'm also particularly worried about their health. I mean, the fact that Bradley Beal has played zero games already. I don't really, I don't really even know what's going on. Um, Booker's been in and out. He's played like two or three games out of six. KD has been has been really great. But um, again, I mean, their, their, their hopes and dreams kind of hinge on that health and that terrifies me. I think the devil's advocate when it comes to them is that Beal hasn't played yet. And, um, and so that offensive piece that you would think would take a pretty big leap once he steps on the court, he's kind of supposed to be the point guard, supposed to be the connector and obviously a huge, you know, gravity going to draw a lot of attention guy. Uh, when he is on the court. Um, I think the other devil's advocate piece is that their defense has been really passable so far. They're 12th in defense, um, which I think if they're off, if that defense stayed that good and their offense became elite uh, with feel, then they'd really be in business to be the team we thought they were going to be. Um, so no, no concerns about the, the Cavs or Knicks. We just talked in small sample size here. I'm not concerned about the Cavs because I just don't think. I mean, Jared Allen is just now coming back. Like we and and uh, and Garland has been out. Like the, the team that they had last season, they're also trying to integrate Max Struess into the fold, Niang into the fold. Like I think they're going to be fine. The Knicks, I have legitimate concerns about their offense. Looks awful. Like it's it's literally if Jalen Brunson isn't hitting from everywhere, they're screwed. Julius Randle, I don't know who peed in his cereal, but like the dude just looks like he's angry all the time and he's not putting effort in he's averaging like 13 points on like 30 percent shooting if they don't have a good engaged randall they're not going anywhere this season so i think that they need to 
I don't know. I've been saying this for a long time. I just don't know who would take him if they were to look to trade him, but uh, Tibbs needs to find a way to get through to him and quickly. Otherwise, I think they're in deep, deep trouble. I think they're the team that is most likely to make a desperation move because they played well last year. The Knicks fans were excited and wanted them to make a move, and they didn't really, except adding DiVincenzo. So something's going to happen. As soon as a, a star or something close to a star comes on the block, you can expect the Knicks' name to be brought up in those conversations. Uh, and they might pay a price that's too hefty for whatever player it is. I could see them trying to pull like Zach Levine from the Bulls, who's a good player, all-star caliber guy, but absolutely not the right fit for this team. I think just him next to Brunson is going to look really bad, especially on the defensive end. So it's kind of like, I think the Knicks have, have sort of turned into the team we more or less, more like the team we expected them to be and less like the team they were last year. Uh, they are 29th in offense, but they're still t- still top five in defense, still doing the tips thing. Um, but so the question will be: Was this offense last year kind of held together with glue and, and sticks or whatever, whatever, however they put it? But yeah. it's the tale. It's the tale of two Randalls, right? Last year he yeah. was he was an All NBA consideration guy. He's good every other year. Well. It's so yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the San Francisco Giants from the mid 2010s. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Just, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I'll love, I'll love Julius Randle forever. The first baby Laker. <laughs> All right, Zach. Let's kick it back over to you. What do you got for your second question for us? So this question is kind of a continuation because it's one of the teams I wanted to talk about uh, in the teams most likely to make the playoffs this year that didn't make it last year. And this question is, are the Pelicans for real? I'm going to start you off with a few stats, which will kind of give you a hint as to where I'm at. So last year, you guys remember, it wasn't quite this time. It was maybe a month further down the road. I gave a ton of props to the Pelicans. I was like, watch out, whatever, that Zion got hurt and the season tanked. It was really bad. This year, I'm taking the opposite tact. Not trying to do any reverse psychology or anything, but... The Pelicans are 4-2. and two. Sometimes they've looked really good. CJ has had really good games. He's looking back like his normal self. Having Ingram and, and Zion playing together looks really good sometimes. But the Pelicans, right now, even at 4-2, and two, are 23rd on offense, 13th on defense for the 17th overall net rating. So that's outside of the playoffs, if you think about it that way. And worse, their assist ratio is 25th in the league. They don't pass the ball. They don't have a real connector. CJ plays point guard, but has never really been a point guard. He's a two guy. So I'm thinking maybe they're not, but I'd like to hear from you guys. Yeah, the negative net rating thing is a little scary to me. I, I'm actually surprised when I looked them up on defense and saw that they were a top 15 defense. That was um, shocking to me just based on the eye test. Whenever I watched, I mean, I watched a lot of the Hawks game last night and they just don't look good on that side of the floor. Um, it was a really close game in the first half, and then they got absolutely blitzed in the second half. Um, I, one of my biggest frustrations with them right now is I just feel like having Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson on the t- on the same team like weirdly doesn't maximize what either of them do, especially Bi. I feel like it waters down what he actually brings to the table. He's such a better playmaker than I think he's able to show when Zion's on the court and Zion is definitely looking for his shot early on in the season. That works a lot of the time, but, but last night the defense just collapsed on him and he wasn't, 
He wasn't making the right reads. He wasn't kicking out to dudes for three. I just, I, the, the roster worries me a little bit. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm just not as in on them as I was a year ago. So I still think they'll probably be close to a, a playoff team, but they're not like, I mean, last season we were, they were like a top four seed for the first, you know, quarter of the season, at least. I just don't see that for them now. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, th- I don't, I don't want to keep doing the devil's advocate thing, but I think it is uh, interesting that, you know, what part of the reason we were low on them coming into the season because they had these injuries. Trey Murphy hasn't played yet. Um, so the fact that they're playing well without Trey Murphy is, is a, is a decent sign for them. Um, I, their, their net rating is certainly affected by the fact that they got absolutely forced by two of this podcast's favorite teams to love and hate the Warriors and the Hawks. Caw, caw, caw. Ah. One, two, let's go. Let's go. Um, but, uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, obviously my, my, uh, feels about this team have always been quite obvious. I, I, BI being third on this team in field goal attempts just feels, um, disappointing and feels like he needs to be freed. Um, I wonder if we'll start having BI trade talks or, uh, discussions closer to the trade deadline this year to kind of shift that, those fit issues that we talked about. I would love to see how we fit somewhere else. Um, but I mean, I think if Zion is healthy, they'll be a playoff team. But your question is, are they for real? I don't think they're like as for real as as they looked in December of last year. That's for sure. All right, moving on to my second question, which is, uh, I don't know about you guys, but Wemby has already surpassed any and all expectations that I had for him coming into the season through five, six games, however long it's been. So my question for you is. Who are other guys that have exceeded your expectations so far this season? Remember that Wemby is just Bo Bo, right? That's what Shaq said. So bad. That's so not bad. actually what he said, though. I got to set that record straight. <laughs> he just said he is like Bo Bo, long and can dribble and shoot. That's all he said. Because it was good. There were there were a lot of a lot of articles out there about anyway nonsense. Wemby's been incredible, but I have I have. At least a couple of guys I think have been just as good. One not not as good, but who I'm surprised by for sure. Uh, the first two I've already talked about. I think we talked about them last week, Patrick. So I'll just go through them quickly. Number one is again I got to bring up Scotty Barnes. Caveat here: the Raptors are still bad, but <laughs> Scotty Barnes, fifty three percent from the field, thirty nine percent from three, averaging twenty one and ten with six assists, one steal, two blocks. He's sixth in VORP. Filthy numbers. He's third in uh, defensive plus minus, ninth overall in plus minus, fifth in defensive win shares. Like the guy is doing everything around the court. It's really awesome to see. So that's my number one. Number two, got to give it to my guy who we talked about last week, Chet Holmgren. He had his best game of the year versus the Warriors. Chinstrap Chet uh, stepped up in Shea's, (laughs) Shea's absence. Kept them in a in a really close game, really good game against the Warriors, even without Shea. He's at 17, 7, and 3 with, with a steal and a block on 62 from the field and 57% from three. Guys are leaving him open, and when he's open, he does not miss. He's draining. Um, yeah. And he's shooting like 88% from the free throw line, too. Like he's his shooting numbers are just insane. You gotta include he has great defensive metrics. He's looking really good on that end. He's poised and just like Playing well around the, he looks like just way more mature than a second year player playing his rookie season. 
the only thing I could ask him to do more is to get a little bit bigger so he can get some rebounds. Seven one guy should have more than seven boards. But uh, besides that, man, he's all you can ask for. He's going to be an all-star. Uh, and then my third guy, apologize for throwing three down, but I, three guys I really wanted to talk about, is Jonathan Kuminga. I hadn't watched him this season until he played against the the Thunder, and he happened to have his best game, but he looked really, really good. He's super active on both ends of the floor. He looks like he got bigger. Like There are times when he was on the court, I was like, oh, that's, that's Kevon Looney for sure. Like, no, that's Kuminga, man. He jumps way too high for Kevon Looney. <laughs> Uh, he has great touch near the basket. He's hitting a few jump shots now, uh, a couple of threes. And so as, so as Jay said before, before the season started, uh, Warriors season is really going to depend on the development of Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody. Both of them have looked good, especially Kaminga. That makes me very scared for the Warriors or of the Warriors. Move forward. I'll, uh, I'll start by throwing a little shout out. I uh, I'm gonna admit something. I'm gonna be a little vulnerable here. I uh, I thought about getting off the Cam Thomas ship uh, late in the season last year. You know, I'm, I'm always gonna like go for my guy, but I was starting to get worried that some of my pronouncements for his career are a little bit uh, optimistic. They Seven time All Star Cam Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> they still are, but. Averaging 26 a game uh, over a six-game stretch uh, with some real heaters. Um, Mikal Bridges put him in an impossible situation, having to like eave for a game winner the other night. If we had just started the ball within his, in his hands at the beginning of the possession against a defender that was not Alex Caruso, uh, they might have been able to pull out the win. But Cam, we're back. We're back. Let's go, Cam. Uh, so he's exceeded my briefly lowered expectations. Um, uh, but the the main guy I want to talk about is honestly Tyrese Maxey. Like you guys talked about him a lot last week, but um, I I'll admit, like I love him as a player. I love his the way he plays, his joy that he plays with. I think he's a perfect match for Joel in that way, just the energy. Um, but there were a lot of times this summer I was like, why is Tyrese Maxey untouchable here? Like he's, he's young. He's obviously on a rookie deal. Like that's a big reason to, to kind of uh, hold on to him. I was like, why is he untouchable in Dame talks? Why is he like, you know, why is he not a piece that they're using to try to get a better supporting cast around uh, Joel? And turns out they're smart and I'm dumb. Uh, I'm the, I'm the genius club <laughs> for a second when it comes to thinking about <laughs> trading Tyrese Maxey because uh, he has been just absolutely incredible. Uh, 26, uh, five rebounds, six, almost seven assists on 49% from the field, 47% from three. Uh, he's just, he's, in, he's a full-on uh, sidekick superstar. Uh, to to Joel Embiid to start the season, and that's part of why they've been uh, as good as they've been. So I love the idea of seeing what they've got with these two, uh, uh, as long as they are playing well. Is uh, and then obviously if if there's a drop off at some point, uh, then they'll talk about kind of rejiggering the team. But if they can build a team with these two being the the hubs, um, I like the idea because I like the I just like the vibes and the attitude of the team right now. Kind of a underdog uh just playing with joy 
kind of vibe. I so I have a, a, a few guys. Chet was on my list. Obviously, I'm very biased there, but um, Shaden Sharp definitely want to give a shout out to him. He's looked. I know Zach's a big Shaden Sharp guy. He's looked amazing, man. He's averaging 20 a game. Um, pretty pretty good shooting splits, and his athleticism just continues to be ridiculous and through the roof. He had a. Did you? I don't know if you guys caught the the block he had on Luke Kennard's three point attempt the other night when they beat the Grizzlies in OT was insane. Like he was like. I, I don't even know how high he was in the air, but he the fact that he closed out that quickly was absurd. Um, a couple other guys I want to give shout-outs to. Um, Shangoon on the Rockets has looked really good. They're they're running stuff through him. He's kind of playing a little bit of a baby Jokic role, which has been kind of crazy to watch. He's averaging 18, 8.5 rebounds, 6 assists a game, shooting 58% from the field and 40% from three. So he's looked really good. And lastly, and excuse me while I... Um, just swallow the vomit in my mouth real quick. But um, Dylan Brooks, I don't know if you guys have uh, watched any Rockets basketball at all, but let me just read off some of his stats right now. So this dude is averaging 18 points a game, four rebounds, two and a half assists, 1.6 steals, but he's shooting 60% from the field and 60% from three, which like, I don't even know. I mean, again, I know he's going to come back to earth, but those numbers are just insane. The Rockets' record is not great, but they're competitive. They've won a couple games. They're already off to, I think, a, a better start than a lot of people anticipated. So never never thought I'd give Dylan Brooks a shout-out, but here we are. Do you think he's wearing his Canada jersey underneath his Rockets jersey? Think I think he, he definitely may, is. <laughs> he may told him that they're still in the Philippines. <laughs> The he's got the green light he's definitely got the green light i'd actually yeah. find that cool i'd find that a little bit redeeming for uh for dylan brooks if i found that out <laughs> he's been less dylan brooksy like there were a couple plays yesterday where he hit a couple big shots and wasn't like being ridiculous about it he just ran back down the court and like maybe email's rubbing off on him maybe he's like hey quit the crap and just play basketball be amazing i hope so i hope so maybe i'll actually watch the rockets if that's the case as soon as I saw who they added this season, I was like, ah, well, there goes one of my favorite uh, <laughs> uh, league pass teams. I was excited for Amin Thompson, Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, Shen Goon. But I don't know. Maybe. Maybe if he turns over a new leaf, I can, I can get into him. Uh, one note on Shane Sharp. definitely winning the breakup with the Grizzlies right now. That's true. Gracious. I know. I know. We'll talk that's about actually, that a little later. That's a, that's a good segue to your next question. But I have to say one thing about Shane Sharp. Did you guys know that his athleticism, it isn't just like you see it and like, wow, it's amazing. He actually set the record for, en- for a vertical leap in- for any draft prospect in history. 49-inch vertical leap. Oh, my God. Goodness <laughs> gracious. So when you watch him and you, uh, and you know that, you're like, oh, oh, I get it. I get it now. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> Dunk 49 inches. It is time. It is time. Well, let's now, segue like, into Jay's question. Yeah, rewind back to that great transition re- re- that Jay re- has. <laughs> uh, so Dylan Brooks definitely winning the breakup with the Memphis Grizzlies right nice. now. Um, they they are zero and six. Uh, they're really going to need the Jaw Revenge Tour uh, when he comes back. But my question is kind of along the lines of: Is it going? Is are they going to be so bad? when he comes back that it's going to be like a lost season already. Um, they're 0-6 right now. I'm just going to read their upcoming schedule. Okay, Blazers, Heat, Jazz, Clippers, Lakers, Spurs, Celtics, Rockets, Suns, T-Wolves, Jazz, Mavs, Suns, 
Mavs, Rockets, Rockets, Thunder, Pelicans, Pacers. There are a lot of really good teams on that schedule. Um, so I don't know if you guys like looked at it, if you kind of gamed it out, but I guess if you can take, take a little stab, what is the Memphis Grizzlies season? What's their record going to look like when Jock comes back after 25 games? I have them at eight and 17. And I think I'm being nice to them and maybe a little bit too harsh on the quote unquote bad teams, but that's what I saw as like roughly how many not good teams they were playing in that stretch. And I just have no confidence in them being able to beat teams like even like the Mavs. I think they'll have a hard time even against like the Jazz. I, I gave them wins there just to be like, well, they got to win something. But they they look terrible. They have the worst offense in the league, 30th in the league. They're 20th in defense, which makes no sense. They have two former defensive players of the year, and the other guys have all been good. Like Jaw, Jaw's influence. Dylan Brooks' influence, I guess, matter a lot more than we even knew. Um, I talked preseason about how a team in the West would fall uh, because there are just too many teams to fit into that 10-team play-in race. And I think Memphis may end up being that team. Even if Jaw comes back and plays really well, I have a hard time seeing this team that far above 500 with him, with the way they've been playing now. So that puts them something as like a 30-something win team not making the playoffs or the play-in. Uh, and it opens the doors for other teams like the Pelicans and OKC who didn't make it last year to kind of jump in there. Yeah, I'm even less optimistic than Zach is. <laughs> just saying a lot. I have them at, at 6-19. and 19. I just think like there are already six games in the hole. So that would basically mean that they go 6-13 and 13 over the next 19 games, which I think... To Zach laid out the stats perfectly um, with the way they're playing right now. I just have no, I have, I have, I don't feel anything positive towards them on either end of the court. My other concern is this team has been decimated by injuries, man. So it's not just the fact that jaw is out. Steven Adams is out for the year. Now they've a lot like Luke Kennard has been in and out. Santi Aldama. I don't even know if he's played yet. There, there are rotation guys that historically have been able to, you know, kind of carry the load whilst, while jaw has been out who aren't playing right now. And then the other thing is, I think they really miss Tyus Jones, man, which I know uh, Dan poo-pooed. Yeah. yeah, man, Dan Dan poo-pooed uh, both of you and me when we brought him up on our preseason stuff. But Tyus Jones is good. I know he's on the worst team in the league right now in Washington with their stout backcourt of Jordan Poole and, and Tyus Jones playing together, which is just brutal. Um, but he's great at kind of steadying things. And they don't have that steadying presence right now. Um, Desmond Bain has looked really great. But everyone else has been kind of – I think Marcus Smart has been pretty good too. But, um, yeah, Jaron Jackson Jr. looks okay. I mean, it, you got to have those three really kind of step up, and it's just not been great. Triple J is the biggest disappointment for me. Him being just okay is not good enough. He needs to be the all-star who steps up with Jogon. Yeah, so I, I had the same uh, record as, as Patrick, 6-13 and 13 over the next uh, 19 games, which would mean 6-19. and 19. Uh, that would mean a six and nineteen record over twenty five games would be a nineteen game pace over a uh, nineteen win pace over an eighty two game. Oh, that's, that's brutal! Terrible, and Oof. it would require them to play at a fifty win pace for the rest of the season just to get to forty one wins, just to get to five hundred. 
that is such a big hole for them to be in. And I just don't know what options they have to turn it around before Jaw comes back um, with the Steven Adams injury and everything. They just, the guys, they got to hope there. that another team like starts selling <laughs> off parts, right. And they can package some of their guys. Yeah. It's just kind of crazy to think well, yeah. back on like Zaire Williams, like Jake LaRavia, all these guys that they've, uh, David Roddy, all these guys that they've drafted that, you know, historically we've said, man, they've done an amazing, and they have, but, some of these guys are not really panning out the way that they had hoped. And so it may be time to go package four first together to go get OG Ananobi or Ananubi as Dan would call him. <laughs> That's a great point. They still have those, they still have all their picks, so they could definitely make a move. I think some of those young guys were hurt over the last few years by how good that team ended up being. And the, especially the, the main starters and rotation pieces, they didn't really get the run that they could have had. Uh, and now that they're being forced into to playing some kind of role, they they just don't look good, uh, and that that hurts them for trade value as well. Uh, so a, a side effect of all of this, this bad situation in Memphis. I will always find a way to fit the reality to uh, make my agendas uh, succeed, and the agenda of mine that is succeeding right now is Jaw is really good and important. <laughs> turns out. <laughs> Desmond like, Bain, all NBA. Wait, what? <laughs> okay, Desmond Bain has been very good, but yeah, not not nearly good enough. Just no, he's been really. He team. has been really. Good. If the team was better, he'd probably have a legitimate shot. But right at All Star, not not all NBA. That was always crazy. <laughs> that was a, that was semi bold. That was a semi bold prediction. That was just really bold. Um, <laughs> period. <laughs> but yeah, I I do I I am interested to see what they do with the season if they are in kind of hole when he gets down um like do do they kind of just kind of mail it in let jaw go for it for a while and then do a little sga okc thing from the last few years before last year where they kind of shut him down in march or february even uh try to get a good draft pick because they do have all their picks and yeah who knows um but yeah it's tough in memphis and i hate to see it haven't won a game since like since the last playoff series or playoff game win against the Lakers. I think it was game four or game three. Six months ago. Or no, game Yikes. five. Sorry. Game five against the Lakers. Whew. All right. Well, Zach, I think you had one one final question for us. So bring us home before we get to uh, Jay's mud pie moment. Yeah, we'll bring up the vibes with a with a with a fun question. So Jason Tatum uh just reached the ten thousand point milestone. He he was the tenth fastest in history to reach this this mark uh the one that surprised me the most was devin booker i don't know when i missed that but booker beat him to ten thousand faster so that's kind of cool but it had me thinking about uh who we who we would consider some of the best young players in the league who could reach this be another young player to reach ten thousand points quickly um and i think we all kind of consider tatum a top 10 player in the league so which player is most likely to be top a top 10 player in the league so the question I wanted to start with was, what is your guys' starting five for the under 25 players in the league? Mine's really guard heavy. <laughs> I just, uh, am I cr- am I crazy for having Victor in my starting five already six games into the season? I just, I don't know. So, yeah, I, so I don't I think, know if there yeah, are any. I kind of flipped the question, but the second part of the question is like, what players in the league do you see as 
joining Tatum as like a top 10 player a couple years down the road. So I don't think it's crazy at all. I would have Vic. I'd have, uh, I mean, Luca is somehow not 25 years old yet, which is absolutely insane. So he's definitely already a top 10, if not a top five player. Um, Ant, I'd have Ant-Man in there. Um, And then I'm, again, I think very biased with my feelings towards this guy, but I, I think because of the lineup versatility that this potentially adds, I'd have uh, I'd have Halliburton in there as well in my, in my starting five. So you've got Tatum, Luca, Victor, Ant, Halliburton. I had a hard time leaving off Jaw. I think Jaw belongs to the conversation for sure. But this is a good question, man. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of good up and coming talent. Yeah, I would probably say that Jaw has earned consideration more than um, Victor at this point. But Victor is certainly. What do you mean? He's it. got great six games under his belt. <laughs> Come on. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I, I, those are basically the exact same guys uh, that I considered, in addition to, of course, Cam Thomas. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> So, um, no, yeah, Luca was the, was the one that was like, when it comes to like the second half of the question, he's already a top 10 player. Um, yeah. And he's 24. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So he doesn't really fit. We, we need some, we need other people, but so I didn't really include this in my question. Maybe I should have, but, uh, I was kind of looking at it from like, who is not yet in that category. So kind of more, okay. more younger guys. So this, my, the starting five that I ended up choosing was. Uh, guys who I think over the next few years are going to be superstars, basically. One of them was Victor. I had Victor at the five. At the four, I had Chet. Yeah, I I took him over Paolo, and I wondered if I'd get a little bit of pushback there, but I think Chet's ceiling ceiling is a little bit higher. I think Paolo is an all-star ceiling, whereas Chet could be like a franchise-type cornerstone ceiling. Maybe not a top 10 player in the league, but I love it. Yeah, let's go. Uh, And then at small forward, I had Scotty Barnes. You know, I'm, I'm really vibing with Scotty right now. (laughs) Uh, And then (laughs) at the two, at the two ant, as we all talked about, I think, I think he's probably the most likely of this group. If I were to predict one of these guys will be top 10 very soon and get to 10,000 points by age 25. I think ants the guy. And then my point guard, uh, was Cade Cunningham. I have I was really gonna, high hopes yeah, for him. That's awesome. I was just going to throw that in there. Yep. Yeah, I love that. I actually that. get a lot of uh, Halliburton vibes from him. I kind of see them yep. in similar lights. Sort of a pass-first guy, but who's becoming more of a scorer, good leader, all of that stuff. That That's that's the five. If I were like taking a team right now that was under 25, and I wasn't allowed to take like Luca or Ja, who are already kind of in that top 10 range, I think those are the five I'd take. Those are great picks, man. Those are great, great picks. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this up with Jason's filthy, stinky, dirty mud pie moment of the week. Take it away, Jay. So we're going to return to one of the old classics. Uh, we're going to talk about the law enforcement of the NBA. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> yes. The referees. Um, we're not going to talk about, because I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know if these headphones can handle the level of volume of the yelling I would get if I brought up the OKC Warriors uh. team on Friday. <laughs> um, so we're not going to go there. 
Um, we're going to talk about one of my personal passions, which is let players be emotional. Let players be emotional. Let players play with style. Let players kind of, you know, I know that this a podcast is very anti-flexing, so this is sort of along the same lines, but it's different. Um, I, we, I'm pro-flexing under the right context, just for the record. Yeah. <laughs> it's the right context I'm in. If it's like I just dunked to Zach's point and nobody else was around me and I'm going to flex on the crowd, like, come on, man. Let players celebrate. Um, the fact that college football players are now semi-allowed to celebrate after touchdowns, as long as it's not too crazy, makes me very happy. Um, you know, this is an environment of high emotion. And we want players to care. We want players to show that emotion or else, what are we trying to, we're, we're not trying to watch like Duke basketball out here. That's not what we're here for. <laughs> um, so along these lines, stop calling technicals for players hanging on the rim after a big dunk stop jackson it hayes talking about jackson hayes that's exactly what we're let's go <laughs> jackson hayes had a very very nice breakaway dunk against the clippers in a in like a big moment of a, a semi-heated matchup and like jackson hayes is a guy who's still trying to carve out his uh, his place in the league um and his place on this team and he has a really nice moment this dunk and like it wasn't even like i don't know i don't think it was even particularly showy like he just kind of did a little bit of a chin up uh came down ran back on defense let our guys hang on the rim a little bit and like honestly sometimes it gets called when i when they have an argument that they're hanging on the rim out of safety I was just going to say that about Jack. I thought that that's what Jackson Hayes did for the most part. There was a little bit of an extra chin up, but his <laughs> motion, that. dude, he was going so fast and he was swinging back so fast that you can't just let go of the rim right away. You're going to fly into the crowd. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, Jackson's a high flyer. Let my guy dunk how he <laughs> wants to dunk. Um, but to show that I am uh, uh, objective about this, that I want to apply this policy across the board another guy got a t for hanging on the rim his name was al horford al horford got Whoa, hanging protecting on the rim. al horford technical against the nets and look i i am ready for al horford to stop playing <laughs> and to stop being good but i do support al especially at his age i support al's right to hang on the rim uh, after one of his very few dunks, <laughs> like, yeah. So, in the it, yeah. in the words of one of the the greatest things ever written, Lay Miz, <laughs> I am a gog, I am aghast, Jason, <laughs> <laughs> that you defended <laughs> Al Horford. <laughs> as Melly has found love at last. <laughs> uh, I'm so ready for him to stop being good. Like that should have happened five years ago. It feels like, but but let. <laughs> Let the homie hang on the rim after a dunk. Dunking is the coolest thing you can do in any sport. And if it's a good dunk in a good moment, you should be able to hang on the rim. Thank you very much. Refs, get out of our hearts. Stop policing our emotions. Thank you very much. Okay, I just want to say, too, you're going you're gonna to police people hanging on the rim, but you're going to let Draymond berate you for <laughs> 10 straight minutes in your face. Minutes. 48 minutes. Well, and doesn't get a single tack the entire game. Give me a break, man. Come on. 
It's like, you, and you say anything to an opposing player that's taunting. And you're going to let him touch the ball like, on the rim on a game-winning <laughs> shot. Just hey, hey no. There it is. There <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's the biggest mud pie of the year. We're not going to talk about this. <laughs> He's one of the players, one of the coaches. <laughs> you know, cute. I can't. Look, if you wanted the mud pie moment to go to Draymond, you shouldn't have given it to me this week. I'm never <laughs> going on, to give I did Draymond that on Green. I did that I'm on purpose. I'm never going to give Draymond Green a man. mud pie. I can't. I'm never going to give I him just... a mud pie. Ugh. Your mud pie is very it's worthy. It was a great. Like, however, <laughs> but like a certain, <laughs> like a certain prominent American politician said once, Draymond Green could shoot someone in the middle of the Times Square, and I'm not giving him a mud pie <laughs> moment. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Always pro Amazing. Sorry, Amazing. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're not sorry. <laughs> Little tuna can. <laughs> CCA, baby. Let's go. CCA. Let's it's go. It's got to be one. It's got to oh, be one every episode gosh. now. There has yeah. to be. All right, gentlemen. CCA award been... for the week. This has been a great pod despite my technical difficulties. Appreciate your patience. We will uh, we'll hit it next week again. Love it. Love you guys. See ya. Peace. Peace. Peace.